0: Chapter three a of the Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Everyday Life of Abraham Lincoln by Francis Fisher Brown. Chapter three a Lincoln's Beginning as a Lawyer. His Early Taste for Politics. Lincoln and the Lightning Rod Man. Not an Aristocrat. Reply to Dr. Early. A Manly Letter again in the Illinois Legislature. Abraham Lincoln's career as a lawyer covered a period of a quarter of a century, beginning about 1834 or 35, and ending with his election to the Presidency in November 1860. When he began his professional life he was an obscure and unpromising youth of twenty-five, with but little learning and fewer accomplishments, and without advantages of social influence or wealthy friends step by step with patient industry and unflinching determination he climbed the ladder of professional advancement until he stood among the foremost lawyers of the west he had indeed won a national reputation and when he laid aside his law-books a mature man of fifty it was to enter upon the great honors and responsibilities of the presidency of the american republic lincoln was devoted to his profession and his success in it was earned by hard and constant application but his natural taste for politics led him to take a full share in the activities of political life he had already served a term in the illinois legislature eighteen thirty four to thirty five and so well satisfied were his constituents that they renominated him for the succeeding term in the canvass which followed he distinguished himself as a stump speaker showing by his tact and ability, by the skill and ingenuity with which he met his opponents in debate, by his shrewdness in attack and readiness in retort, how much he had profited by the training of the previous years. An incident illustrating his ready wit and his keen insight into human nature occurred early in this campaign, at Springfield, where a public discussion was held between the opposing candidates. An interesting version of this incident is given by Mr. Arnold. There lived at this time, in the most pretentious house in Springfield, a prominent citizen named George Fouquet. He had been long in public life, had been a leading Whig, the party to which Lincoln belonged, but had lately gone over to the Democrats, and had received from the Democratic administration an appointment to the lucrative post of Register of the Land Office at Springfield. Upon his handsome new house he had lately placed a lightning-rod, the first one ever put up in Sangamon County. As Lincoln was riding into town with his friends, they passed the fine house of Forquet, and observed the novelty of the lightning-rod, discussing the manner in which it protected the house from being struck by lightning. In this discussion there were seven Whig and seven Democratic candidates for the lower branch of the Legislature, and after several had spoken it fell to Lincoln to close the arguments. This he did with great ability Forkay though not a candidate then asked to be heard for the Democrats in reply to Lincoln He was a good speaker and well known throughout the county his special task that day was to attack and Ridicule the young man from Salem Turning to Lincoln who stood within a few feet of him he said This young man must be taken down and I am truly sorry that the task devolves upon me He then proceeded, in a very overbearing way and with an assumption of great superiority, to attack Lincoln and his speech. Lincoln stood calm, but his flashing eye and pale cheek showed his indignation. As soon as Forquet had closed he took the stand, and first answered his opponent's arguments fully and triumphantly. So impressive were his words and manner that a hearer believes that he can remember to this day, and repeat some of the expressions. Among other things, he said, "'The gentleman commenced his speech by saying that this young man, alluding to me, must be taken down. I am not so young in years as I am in the tricks and trades of a politician. But,' said he, pointing to Fourquet, "'live long or die young, I would rather die now than, like the gentleman, change my politics for a three thousand dollar office and then feel obliged to erect a lightning-rod over my house to protect a guilty conscience from the vengeance of an offended god it is difficult to-day says mr arnold to appreciate the effect on the old settlers of this figure this lightning-rod was the first which most of those present had ever seen they had slept all their lives in their cabins in conscious security Here was a man who seemed to those simple-minded people to be afraid to sleep in his own house, without special and extraordinary protection from Almighty God. These old settlers thought nothing but the consciousness of guilt. The stings of a guilty conscience could account for such timidity. Forquet and his lightning-rod were talked over in every settlement from Sangamon to the Illinois and the Wabash. Whenever he rose to speak thereafter they said, there is the man who dare not sleep in his own house without a lightning-rod to keep off the vengeance of the Almighty." Another amusing incident of the same campaign, and one which illustrates Lincoln's love of a practical joke, is given as follows. Among the Democrats stumping the country at this time was one Dick Taylor, a most pompous person, who was always arrayed in the richest attire, ruffled shirts, seals, etc., besides a rich embroidered vest. Notwithstanding this array, he made great pretensions of being one of the hard-handed yeomanry, and ridiculed with much sarcasm the rag-barons and manufacturing lords of the Whig Party. One day, when he was particularly aggravating in a speech of this kind, Lincoln decided on a little sport, and sidling up to Taylor suddenly threw open the latter's coat showing to the astonished spectators a glittering mass of ruffled shirt, gold watch, and glittering jewels. The crowd shouted uproariously. Lincoln said, "'While he Colonel Taylor, was making these charges against the Whigs over the country, riding in fine carriages, wearing ruffled shirts, kid gloves, massive gold watch-chains with large gold seals, and flourishing a heavy gold-headed cane,' I was a poor boy, hired on a flatboat at $8 a month, and had only one pair of breeches to my name, and they were buckskin. And if you know the nature of buckskin, when wet and dried by the sun, it will shrink, and mine kept shrinking until they left several inches of my legs bare between the tops of my socks and the lower part of my breeches. Whilst I was growing taller, they were becoming shorter, and so much tighter, that they left a blue streak around my legs that can be seen to this day if you call this aristocracy i plead guilty to the charge the saturday evening preceding the election says mr lamon the candidates were addressing the people in the courthouse at springfield dr early one of the candidates on the democratic side made some charge which mr n w edwards one of the candidates on the Whig side deemed untrue Edwards climbed on a table, so as to be seen by Early and by every in the house, and at the top of his voice told Early that the charge was false. The excitement that followed was intense, so much so that fighting men thought a duel must settle the difficulty. Lincoln, by the program, followed Early. He took up the subject in dispute, and handled it fairly and with such ability that every one was astonished and pleased. So that difficulty ended there then for the first time aroused by the excitement of the occasion he spoke in that tenor intonation of voice that ultimately settled down into that clear shrill monotone style that afterwards characterized his public speaking and enabled his audience however large to hear distinctly the lowest sound of his voice mr arnold says that lincoln's reply to dr early was often spoken of as exhibiting wonderful ability, and a crushing power of sarcasm and ridicule. When he began he was embarrassed, spoke slowly, and with some hesitation and difficulty, but becoming excited by his subject, he forgot himself entirely, and went on with argument and wit, anecdote and ridicule, until his opponent was completely crushed old settlers of sangamon county who heard this reply speak of his personal transformation as wonderful when lincoln began they say he seemed awkward homely unprepossessing as he went on and became excited his figure rose to its full height and became commanding and majestic his plain face was illuminated and glowed with expression his dreamy eye flashed with inspiration and his whole person his voice his gestures were full of the magnetism of powerful feeling of conscious strength and true eloquence the inflexible honesty and fine sense of honor which lay at the foundation of lincoln's character are nobly exhibited in the following letter to a former friend but now political opponent colonel robert allen dear colonel i am told that during my absence last week You passed through this place, and stated publicly that you were in possession of a fact or facts which, if known to the public, would entirely destroy the prospects of N. W. Edwards and myself at the ensuing election, but that through favor to us you would forbear to divulge them. No one has needed favors more than I, and generally few have been less unwilling to accept them, but in this case favor to me would be injustice to the public, and therefore I must beg your pardon for declining it. That I once had the confidence of the people of Sangamon County is sufficiently evident. And if I have since done anything, either by design or misadventure, which if known would subject me to a forfeiture of that confidence, he who knows of that thing and conceals it is a traitor to his country's interest." i find myself wholly unable to form any conjecture of what fact or facts real or supposed you spoke but my opinion of your veracity will not permit me for a moment to doubt that you at least believed what you said i am flattered with the personal regard you manifested for me but i do hope that on more mature reflection you will view the public interest as a paramount consideration and therefore determine to let the worst come I assure you that the candid statement of facts on your part, however low it may sink me, shall never break the ties of personal friendship between us. I wish an answer to this, and you are at liberty to publish both if you choose." Very respectfully, A. Lincoln. The campaign resulted in Lincoln's election to the Legislature of 1836. The nine delegates from Sangamon County happened to be men of remarkable stature, each one measuring six feet or more in height, and very naturally they were nicknamed the Long Nine. Lincoln overtopped all the rest, and as a consequence was called the Sangamon Chief. The State capital was then at Vandalia, and Lincoln's journey there from Springfield was made mainly on foot. As he was trudging along the muddy road he fell in with Judge John Dean Caton, one of the early lawyers of Illinois, afterwards Chief Justice of the State, who became an intimate friend of Lincoln. Judge Caton gives an interesting account of their first meeting, which occurred at this time. "'I first met Mr. Lincoln,' says Judge Caton, about the last of November, 1835, when on my way to Vendalia to join the Supreme Court, which met there the first Monday in December at the same time as the meeting of the Legislature. There were a great many people, and all sorts of vehicles on the road from Springfield to Vandalia. The roads were very bad, and most of the passengers got out and walked a considerable portion of the distance. It seemed almost like the movement of a little army. While walking thus along the side of the road, I met Mr. Lincoln for the first time, and in the course of a two days' journey we became quite well acquainted if he had been admitted to the bar at that time he had not become known as a lawyer out of his own immediate circuit he was going to vandalia as a member of the legislature he was one of the long nine as it was called from sangamon county who by their successful manoeuvring and united efforts succeeded in getting the seat of government moved from vandalia to springfield during my stay of a very few weeks in vandalia i frequently met mr lincoln he was a very pleasant companion but as we walked along the road on the occasion referred to talking about indifferent subjects nothing impressed me with any idea of his future greatness end of chapter 3a recording by bill borst